The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Jeff Waller. And this is Tim Mayer. And we're the creators of The Anywhere Man. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd. With Joe and Matt. With Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 246 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 2nd. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not staring into space and mourning the Dowager Countess-shaped hole in my heart where Downton Abbey used to live, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. I don't know what I'm going to do without Maggie Smith. (laughs) I love her. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not baffled by everyone referring to Super Tuesday when everyone knows Superman's birthday was on Monday. <laughs> I'm searching for meaning as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Just wait for Web Slinger Wednesday, dude. Wow! In this week's episode, <laughs> Lead Slinger the Mountain Goats posted that. He nice. was like, Villains can't get done on Web Slinger Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> in this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Vampirella, Volume 3, Number 1, and Black Widow, Number 1. It is ladies' night in the ziggurat, baby. Hey, I guess it is. After that, Joe and I are going to review 10 more of this week's comics faster than Clayface can help Zoe Saldana get ready for her role as Nina Simone. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our buddies Cypher and Warlock are trying to make sense of Kanye West's latest Twitter rant and talking about next week's comics. And finally, we step back into the comics studio when we interview Jeff Lawler and Tim Mayer, creators of The Anywhere Man. Can you believe that they still want to talk to us? I know. That's, that means they haven't achieved true fame yet. But before we whip and nanny ourselves into a frenzy, let's all try and contain our excitement at the possibility of a chance to vote for Mitt Romney one more time. And then we'll talk about this week's Big News! After months of set photos and speculation, Sony finally dropped the first trailer for Paul Feig's upcoming Ghostbusters reboot. You wrote that in all caps. So I thought you were going to scream. Finally. <laughs> we agree that it's a reboot, right? I guess it's a reboot. All right. It looks like a reboot. Fan reaction seems to fall on one of two sides of the spectrum. Hey, this looks great. And what the f- is this? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, which extreme position have you adopted on this heated issue? As a member of the internet, I, obviously I have to have. You a, are a citizen of internet. I cannot have a calm and measured reaction to this. <laughs> No, I thought it was fine. I don't know. Yeah, it's totally I, I fine. It's fine. It, well, like, what were people expecting? Right. I mean, like, you know, I don't need a little more dubstep in my Ghostbusters theme, but yeah, I understand that's weird. the kids like that boo shit. So, I mean, there you go. <laughs> um, I don't know. It looks like a reboot to me. It looks like it's going to be fun. I like the there ladies are... aren't all sexed up. They look nerdy like the old guys. I like they're calling themselves by their last names. You know, and, and honestly, the effects still look kind of cheesy. Like old school Ghostbusters, and I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the effects look... I mean, they're obviously sexed up to modern they, day. They're, they're fine. But, but the ghosts look like the ghosts from 1984. Oh, sure. I mean, like Slimers there, right? Exactly. What kind of made me certain that it was a reboot and not a continuation 
uh, which still up until this point, nobody was quite sure about. Right. Is that there are too many things that look like they're being introduced for the first time. Right. Like the they're trap, inventing the proton pack, the, guns. the Ecto-1. Yeah. Like they're introducing them as though they are new elements, which means reboot. Now, I will say in the beginning of the trailer, it's just 30 years ago. Yeah. A and group I, of scientists, which that's makes just it marketing. sound like it's going to be a continuation. It, that's dumb marketing. We, everybody knows what Ghostbusters is. You don't have to remind us. <laughs> I think that they have come out and confirmed uh, most of the original cast is coming back to do cameos. I'm sure. And I think they've confirmed that they're all playing different characters. Like, it's not like right. Dan Aykroyd's not going to show up as Ray. Right. Dan Aykroyd shows up as bus driver or whatever. Sure. They're all going to, you know, have a Stan Lee moment. They're all going to have a Stan Lee moment. Right. I like this cast. I like all the people involved. Yeah. I, I can't say that I watched this and went, holy shit, that looks amazing, but it looks fun. Right. I'll I agree. See it. And, you know, Ghostbusters has a, a very special place in my heart. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I did not watch this and go, they have ruined it. Yeah. They have ruined it. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. I, I like Paul Feig. I think it's, it, will it be as good and iconic as the original Ghostbusters? Who the hell even knows? We'll see. Let's not freak out yet. But from for having waited <laughs> coming from the two guys that have been freaking out about Superman v Batman <laughs> for a, a year now. <laughs> but for for only just now getting any sort of hint of the story and the acting and the characters in action, I think it looks good. I mean, this movie comes out in like a few months. It's it's yeah, it's it some, seems a little late for the first trailer. Yeah, it really does. But well, you know, we'll see. Cautiously optimistic. Great actual physical contact. Can you move? Ray, Ray, come in, please. I feel so funky. In comic book news, Marvel Comics has announced the latest Star Wars character to get his own series. That scruffy looking nerf herder himself. Han Solo, baby. Scheduled to launch in June, the five issue series is written by Marjorie Liu and illustrated by Star Wars cover artist Mark Brooks. He's Awesome. I love Mark. He is awesome. Love him. Joey, these series have all been pretty fun so far, and there's definitely a lot more ground than they can cover. But at what point do fans tell Marvel to knock it off with the spinoff books? I mean, obviously, they haven't gotten to everybody yet, right? There's probably going to be a Luke Skywalker solo book. I'm sure. When Marvel, if Marvel says, you know what we should do? R2-D2 needs his own five-issue right, right, series. Right. No, thank you. I don't need it. I don't need a, a, a several-issue spotlight on me and Nub. You know, and already they've started to see dips in sales on some of the bigger books even. And mm. I don't know, like the Vader down thing. I think that pissed off a lot of fans. They didn't buy it as much. Why? I thought it was great. But people weren't reading all the books and they didn't want to buy them all to get the Vader story. So you're telling me that there's people that only read Star Wars and not Darth Vader? Apparently. And people that only read Darth Vader and not Star Wars? I don't get it either, but apparently. Whatever. I mean, with that said, a Han Solo book makes perfect sense. It makes total sense. I want to read a Han Solo book. This is a quote from Marjorie Liu. This is a Han Solo who doesn't quite know who he is anymore. He doesn't think about politics and suddenly is thrust into this life or death struggle for beliefs he didn't even know he cared about. And it has changed him. He doesn't want to believe that change, but he has to believe it. I don't know. I could have worded that a little better. Yeah. This is my favorite little piece of information about the story. Marjorie Liu describes the series as Han Solo in Cannonball Run in space. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's another quote. There's this infamous starship race, a pilot's dream race. Everyone wants to be in it. Everyone dreams of winning it. This is the Kessel Run. 
Well, it's a different race other than the Kessel Run. It's, is it? It's a thing just she invented. Yeah, okay, it's, okay. The, it's called the Dragon's Run or something. Okay. This race is sort of a cover that will allow Han to go on a mission for Leia. But at the same time, even though the race isn't a priority, it's a real struggle for him because he knows he needs to focus, but he's in the race of a lifetime. <laughs> I love it. I hope Captain Chaos shows up. <laughs> Leo also said she pitched several ideas for the Han Solo series to Marvel, but all of them boiled the character down to the same core. He's, you know, working class dude who lives paycheck to paycheck, who has a business to run. He's the Han we know and love. He's a con artist. He's a smuggler. He's this wisecracking streetwise dude. But he's got this internal conflict where there wasn't one before. He's really trying to figure out who he is. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not a true believer. He doesn't care about the force. Right. But now he's involved in something greater than himself, and, and he's he, really got his knickers in a twist. He kind of did make that jump pretty quick in Empire, where he's like, I'm out of here. This sucks. And he's like, out of the way, kid. I'll handle this. Like, oh, you're back? <laughs> well, when he, no, he left because he had to deal with Jabba. Yeah. He had a price on his head. But he like, was also saying, like, yeah, look, I don't care about your revolution and stuff like that. I'm out of here. And then he came back. After three years of helping them. In the next movie, boom, General Solo. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Whoa. That's true. <laughs> I think this will be good. I love Mark Brooks. We love Marjorie Liu. We, she had the unenviable task of making Wolverine's son, Dokken, look cool. Yeah, it was and great. And she pulled it off. It was great. So, yeah, I'm excited for a Han Solo book by these creators. Yeah, if they're going to fall down on a spinoff, it's not going to be this one. Totally agree. Dun, dun, dun. I am Captain Chaos. Here's a little bit of meta news for this week. The fictional band Black Canary has released a real life EP of actual music. Okay, I did not read this new Black Canary. The band is called Black Canary? Yes. And the character is Black Canary. Well, yes. I mean, the book goes into it. Just like Sade. Yeah, like Sade. Or Sade or whatever her name is. It's Sade. Okay. In Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu's Black Canary series from DC Comics, Dinah Lance, or whatever her last name is in the New 52. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's Dinah Lance. Dinah joined a band called Black Canary, named after her alter ego, obviously. And they toured the country and they fought monsters and organizations that were trying to kidnap their bassist named Ditto. Super cute little kid. Plays the bass. Okay. It's a whole thing. All right. Read the book. Now... That band has become more or less a reality. Yep, come on. Fletcher, who is a musician, has collaborated with Caveboy vocalist Michelle Ben Simon and producer Joseph Donovan, and they have created a three track album under the Black Canary name. I listened to it. It's not bad. I mean, it's it's not the sort of music I would go out and seek out normally, but like it's really well done. <laughs> it's not what I would picture this band playing. I'll say that, but whatever. It's pretty slick. Did you listen to it? I did. Yeah. It's pretty slick and pretty electronic, and you know, it has kind of. Uh, it reminds me of like Lisa uh, one of those bands, one or? of those bands from uh, the Scott Pilgrim movie, like uh, Clash at Demon Head was the name of the fictional band from mm. Scott Pilgrim. I was like, yep, that's exactly what this is. <laughs> the reason I think this is a fun story is because I love stuff like this. We've talked about fun promo gimmicks before like watch your eyeballs and infinity sure. stones or whatever. But I love it when creators go the extra mile and produce actual artistic content. Yeah, this isn't the first time either. Yeah. There's been a bunch of these. Uh, uh, Alan Moore had a band that put a flexi in, I think it was a warrior magazine. I don't recall. It was definitely British. 
Oh, weird. Yeah. And then like Burke Breathed put together a band for Opus's punk project <laughs> that had a flexi that came in one of the Bloom County collections. I've uh, still got that. For those somewhere. of us that don't know any better, what is a flexi? Okay. A flexi is basically a square seven inch record that you can play on a record player. They're one of those old things with a needle on it and you yeah. put the bigger. There's I know one. What a- Everybody can see one right here. Actually, I know what Patrick's head. I know what a record player is. I'm an old timer. So Uh, Zach Hollow from Periscope chimed in. uh, There was the Red Rocket Seven by Mike Allred. Yes, that's right. I remember the first one of these that I ever bought, and I thought that like I'd stumbled upon something so special. Is that there used to be this comic book called The Three Geeks? Sort of like an Eltingville Club sort of thing. It's about three nerdy friends. Same guys that did uh, Knights of the Dinner Table, right? No, no. This uh, no. This guy was named Rich Kozlowski. He went on to do a bunch of Archie stuff. He did a graphic novel called The King, which was about a guy who thought he was Elvis. Right. It was great. Yeah. He did a full length audio drama. It was a tape adapting one of the issues of Three Geeks, and it came with the comic on a cassette tape. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, this is so cool. I just love that sort of thing. And I think that this Black Canary in the age of, in this digital age, it's so much easier for creators to get this stuff into the hands yeah, of fans. Yeah, it's awesome. Here's what sucks. Marvel did something very similar, but they didn't do it with Dazzler. They did it with Mary Jane's band, the Mary Janes, uh, with another band called Married with the Sea, and they have songs for them too. It's a little more rocking or whatever, but come on, where's my Dazzler hit? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> did Marvel go to these guys and commission this, or did these guys go, we love May- uh, Gwen, Marvel went to Gwen these Stacey. guys and commissioned this. Eh, I think it was a direct answer. You know, This was a deep impact Armageddon type situation. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to the website, you go to the DC Comics website, there's a Black Canary subpage, which describes the music as, quote, a blend of electronic beats and killer riffs. I guess I can't really argue. There's also character bios, and a fictional tour schedule. They really did it up. And you can go to that site or bandcamp.com and stream the EP for free. If you want to download it and purchase it, it's three fifty. It's three songs. They're pretty great. It's super fun. I love it when creators get this involved in the promotion of the books they're working on. It makes me think that they really are invested in these projects. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where Joe and I are unveiling our new hit single, Invisible Dick Hammer, which critics like John Luttrell of the Burt Wieners comic podcast are calling fart rock and a complete waste of your time. And kind of upsetting. (laughs) Every week, your favorite farting DJ, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week. On the THN forums, Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? This week's question comes from our main wiener man, Willy Toots, who asks, what are your new comic book day rituals? Do you go get coffee at the same place before you hit up the shop? Do you take the day off work? Same time every week during your lunch break? Or are you like me and go pick up your books after 11 o'clock on Friday? Or do you sharpen your nipples and sit in the parking lot thinking about what you're going to buy? Yeah. Do you just go whenever? Do you... Weird. <laughs> do you allow Don't judge me? <laughs> do you allow yourself a certain amount of spending outside of a pull file? Do you even bother with a pull file? I like this. This is a great question. Yeah. Another one of those nuts and bolts questions. Yeah, that real like. world. I like it. You have until five o'clock central time this coming Friday, March eleventh, to get us your answer. It's my parents' wedding anniversary. Oh. 
You can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 and leave us a message. I don't have any parents. Yeah, yeah I've met them. If you're feeling farty, you, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you choose to do, you got two minutes to do it. Don't go over. Matt has no sympathy. I'm not going to tell you again. It's not me. Nobody believes that. It's robot Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Nobody believes that. If you need more time and you just want to like really get in depth, you can go to the THN forums. There's a question of the week section there. Right to your heart's content. We encourage it. And then tune in next week, usually on Thursdays, to hear you and your fellow listeners on the best show on the internet, the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It is review time in the Ziggurat, where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Joey, everybody knows books with words are for suckers. Let's tell these nerds about a leaflet with some pictures. This week, I chose... Vampirella, Volume 3, Number 1, from Dynamite Entertainment. It's written by Kate Leth, with art by Iman Casalos. It's your standard 32 pages for four bucks. Here's your solicit. Vampirella takes Hollywood in this new adventure of the classic demon-hunting, monster-slaying, thrill-seeking vampire queen. When her stately manner is attacked, she begins to unravel a plot as old as the silver screen, discovering what monsters really lurk in the shadows of the City of Angels. Writer Kate Leth asks, can Vampirella be both a cult icon on the rise and take down an empire of ghouls and ghosts? Science point to hell yes. End quote. She's excited about the book because somebody has to. I guess. Yeah. Hey, look, it's Joe's turn to review a Vampirella comic for a change. You never do this. I'm the show's resident pervert. I mean, come on. I generally enjoy Kate Leth's work and Dynamite's rebranding of their female heroes has gotten me curious enough to check. All of these books out. I reviewed Deja Thoris on the show not too far back. Um, I didn't read the new Red Sonja book yet, but I think you covered it. I covered it in uh, Ludicrous Speed Round. Yeah. yeah. Vampy, her chauffeur slash butler Coleridge, and her werewolf boyfriend Tristan have picked up and moved to Hollywood. Just in time to get caught up in a case where an evil casting director is hiring extras and feeding them to a monster? Yeah, I guess. It's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, you know? I mean. You take your top off, get eaten by a monster. It's how you get famous. <laughs> This is a continuation of the Vampirella comics that have come before, and to Leth's credit, I didn't have any trouble understanding the story, despite never having read about the characters previously. The relationships between the characters are clear, and Leth's story hits the ground running. No sooner do Vampy's entourage arrive at their new home than they're attacked by a minion of Slade, the aforementioned evil casting director. Meanwhile, Vampirella's antics are being broadcast all over the internet thanks to the paparazzi. I feel like those two subplots are kind of connected, but it's not really clear. Oh, you know they will be. We get a taste of the classic Vampirella One Piece, but the debut of her new, more functional outfit uh, comes not long after. According to a writer's commentary I read by Kate Leth, I think that she thinks this is supposed to be a horror comic. (laughs) Maybe in the same way that Ghostbusters is a horror movie. Every time Vampirella mentions needing to get some sleep, the book immediately cuts to her and her boyfriend Tristan getting busy. (laughs) Coleridge runs around the mansion in one of those old-timey nightcaps like Scrooge wears with the ball that dangles from it. A sleeping fez. A sleeping fez. (laughs) And there's a visual gag where a dude ruins his marriage in real time by commenting on Vampirella's sexy costume in the YouTube comments. There are just too many jokes to really consider this a horror story, despite the monsters. I know that there have been funny horror movies. Sure. But this comic is also not scary. Yeah, there was nothing horror about it, really. 
That, at but, best, it's an action comic. To be with that said, I, I don't know. Is Vampirella really a horror? Yeah, I've ever read a Vampirella concept. comic where I was like, oh god, what's gonna happen next? Maybe. <laughs> and that kind of leads me to my next point, which I didn't write down for some reason. Maybe in the original Vampirella books, she was more like that. But don't you remember where they kind of announced that it was gonna? She was gonna be like an Elvira. Yeah. Like a horror host. Yeah. I think they got away from that. Or they haven't done it yet because yeah, she's only one, now arrived. Uh, one of the two. So I feel like we don't have the full picture yet of what this book is going to be. Okay. Overall, I found Vampirella number one to be better than I expected, but not what I was expecting. I have no history with the character, so there's no nostalgia. And the story of Vampy going Hollywood doesn't really hook me. I wonder whether or not fans of the classic Vampirella are going to appreciate this take on the character. But again, I, I have no way to compare the two. Right. I mean, I have a way, obviously, but I have no knowledge to compare the two. I choose not to. I choose <laughs> not to. However, I did find some things to enjoy in this. The art by Iman Casalos is perfectly nice in that very standard Dynamite House style kind of way. Yeah. So ultimately, I thought Vampirella was good, but kind of unremarkable. The creators are talented. I can see the merit in it. I don't know if it's something that I'm compelled to keep reading. I'm giving it a skim it. I think I'm where you're at. And I don't want to get into a big discussion of female empowerment and comics and stuff like that. But it seemed like that's how a lot of this was marketed. And I don't know that making Vampirella like an egotistical sex machine (laughs) is really empowering her any more than she already was. I mean, like we see her in the one piece again and whatever. And she's like, damn, I make this look good. Like she spends half the book telling us how good looking she is, which, okay, I get it. (laughs) I don't know if I remember it quite that way, (laughs) but yes. And, uh, I don't know. It just didn't do much for me. Well, the story wise and I don't empowerment part comes from the fact that she owns it, that she's got agency in her own story. I guess, but it's, she's still like a half naked, you know, yeah, but being sexy, but having a character be sexy does not mean that she's not also empowered. No, that's true. I suppose there just wasn't, okay. There wasn't enough story here to empower her. There just wasn't much going on. They like, it's, they move into a new house. There's a bad guy. There's social media problems. <laughs> See you next issue. And I, yes. I, yes. And I'll agree with you there. Yeah, I don't think that has anything to do with, it just didn't with, do much for me at all. I, I'm giving it a skim as well because it wasn't bad, but it's not bad. I did not care. I'll say that. I also did not care. And, and that kind of makes me feel bad a little bit. And it makes me question like, what does a comic book have to do to make somebody like me, excited about it when i am not a fan we'll talk about that with my review next hey there you go nice leader all right man i didn't even plan that yeah well then let's get into it let's talk about serendipity let's talk about black widow let's talk about black widow number one from marvel written by chris samney and mark wade with art by chris samney 32 pages for 3.99 i don't dislike the black widow but i can't say i've ever been heavily invested in a black widow series fair they seem to be very formulaic and always wander off and it's who can she trust she's a double agent she's a triple agent they're all quadruple agents and and it just kind of that falls flat and i barely care this was a pleasant surprise a little treat and i would say this is an example of how to get people invested in a character they may not have been invested in before i'm not the first to say this but i've definitely brought it up on the show before the hardest thing to pull off in a comic book format is a convincing chase scene 
Chases are tailor-made for the screen. Cameras cutting from angle to angle, sliding on a track with a crane arm to film the kick-ass car slide or parkour move of the character. You just cannot capture that motion, that kinetic energy on the page. Or at least I thought you couldn't. Everyone that read the Wade Samney Daredevil run loved it. If you didn't, your opinion doesn't count. You're a weirdo. In it, Wade and Samney reconnected readers with the human side of Matt Murdock starting in the first panel of page one. Here, the same creative team goes for a very different approach. We get exactly two lines from Natasha Romanoff that don't reveal anything all new or all different and about not the until character. The, end. the very end. Instead, Wade and Samney give us 32 pages of chase scene that reinforces what we already knew about the Black Widow. She is Marvel's premier badass spy. Normally, when it takes me five minutes to read a comic, I want my money back. But here, the action moves so fast and with such style, I couldn't stop myself from turning pages. Samney's art dares you to read the story as fast as you can. And the breakneck speed of the story gives us just a peek of what's to come for the Black Widow. Choosing to start this series with a chase scene that lasts 32 pages is more than ballsy. It's Wade and Samney making a statement this is not going to be a comic book series like you've ever seen. I can't wait for more of this. They literally did nothing to reestablish the character, to set up the character. I disagree because, yes, it was a chase scene, but it wasn't just a chase scene. It was about why she was being chased and who was doing the chasing. I mean, I'll give you that. And that's what sets up the series. I'll give you that. As a, res as a result of things we don't know yet. Right. She is now a fugitive from S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is after her. And that is a huge deal. Yeah, that is a huge deal, I, I suppose. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, personally, we don't get anything from her. Just. Oh, no. Yeah, that's true. Here is how badass she is. But, you know, I read I read something about Black Widow and it may have been Mark Wade talking about this upcoming book. But the Black Widow is a character that you never want to see like thought balloons. Yes. We shouldn't know. You don't want to see thought balloons. You don't want to see dialogue, uh, like uh, caption boxes that say what she's thinking. I don't want to see the human side. I don't want to know. Widow. Well, that's not necessarily true. Like I want to. I know that they need to humanize her a little, and oh, I'm fine with a little sure. bit of it. A glimpse here and there. But I don't want to know what she's thinking, right? Because she should be, you know, inscrutable, right? And mysterious, and this book was amazing. It really was amazing. I'm giving this the biggest buy it I can. It's the sort of book where, like you said, you're compelled to, you just can't stop reading it. It's, you know, and when you get to the end, and then you're like, God, that looks so good. You want to go back and then right. actually let the artwork sink in because Chris Somney is that good. And Wade and Somney did a fantastic job of letting the characters that are chasing her, like, tell you the story a little bit or just like tell you how badass this what this character is doing is just the, it, it was so light-handed and just really really well executed it, like, it almost seemed effortless yeah in the same way that they depicted natasha effortlessly evading and taking down these people that are pursuing her yeah there's a scene in the book that i'm not gonna go into too much Maybe we don't talk about it. Though. No, I just, uh, the scene where she is f falling from the helicarrier. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Like that whole sequence where she is dropping to earth from the helicarrier yeah. is breathtaking. It really is. And how cool. she gets out of it. And you know that when she jumps from the helicarrier that she has no way to survive, but knows full well that she will. Yeah. 
And I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. And they can do that without any thought bubbles, without narration, without dialogue. Just fantastic art. This was great. Beautifully, beautifully executed. Uh, I don't know if I actually said it, but it's a buy it from me as well. Greg Lichfield on the Periscope said that the previous run by Nathan Edmondson and Phil Noto is very, very good. It was very good. I liked it. I just never read it. It was very good. You know who's a big fan of that? Tim Benson. Yeah. Number one Black Widow fan. Hey, there you go. So that is a double skim it for Vampirella Volume 3 Number 1 and a double buy it for Black Widow Number 1. Now it's time for you egotistical vampires and sexy super spies to play critic. Head over to thnforums.boards.net and sting us with your opinions of these comics. Get the Black Widow, get it? Sting. The good chauvinists in Hollywood once again proved just how tone-deaf they could be this week after Londinium Films released the first pictures of Zoe Saldana, a Dominican and Puerto Rican woman who just happens to be one of the most beautiful people on the planet, playing the legendary black singer Nina Simone, much to the dismay of Miss Simone's surviving family and estate. While Simone was never considered classically beautiful and certainly never had Miss Saldana's size zero waist, she was definitely black, built her career on talent alone, and redefined sexy with her raw, soulful voice. But rather than harp on Hollywood for trying to sex up every female character, we thought it'd be a lot easier to let our friend Clayface do a little permanent work on Zoe, a sacrifice that'll surely get her that Charlize Theron monster Oscar, right? All while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, go! Another Castle, number one, from Oni! My gut reaction to Another Castle, number one, was pretty positive at first, but after thinking about it for a couple of days and giving it another read, I'm not quite sure. Princess Misty isn't putting up with anyone's She's interested in more than ball gowns and carriage rides and handsome princes. So when her kingdom is attacked, she springs into action to defend it herself, whether it's a smart idea or not. It sounds like it should be a fun twist on the rescue the princess trope, but Misty is not especially likable. She ignores anyone and everyone that tries to give her advice, and she gets captured almost immediately. It's not that she isn't capable, but she comes off as stubborn and pig-headed, which I think means the same thing, instead of heroic. The art by Paulina Ganusho is lovely, but it sets a lighthearted tone that isn't always in line with the story. The story goes to some dark places. Suicide, murder, Jesus. dead moms, Whoa. burning kingdoms. Yeah, it's a real thing. I think this story has some promise, but the women taking charge and becoming the heroes of their own stories theme has been handled better in other titles, I think. I'll read the next one, but for now, I'm giving another Castle number 1 a skim it. Predator, life and death, number one from Dark Horse. Dan Abnett is a guy that Joe and I have both raved about on this show for years now. What Joe probably doesn't know about Abnett is that he also has done extensive work writing novels and comics in the Warhammer 40,000 universe that I have loved since high school. Here, Abnett brings his talent of writing despotic military stories to the colonial marines of the Aliens Predator universe, and it works very well. Brian Thee's thin-lined art style reminds me a bit of Jay Lee and captures the look of the Colonial Marines, their technology that we all fell in love with in James Cameron's Aliens film perfectly. I am looking forward to a Predator comic for the first time in a while, and I gotta say, it's a good feeling. Buy it! Green Lantern 50 from DC! Like I do with The Flash and other books, I like to check back in with the DC universe other than in Batman and see how things are going. 
Judging from this issue, things are going bonkers in the DCU. The pre-reboot Zero Hour Era Parallax is here. Pre-boot. After doing something at the end of Convergence that we're still not real sure about, and he wants the modern Hal Jordan's happy life for himself. The story by Robert Venditti has a lot of nice moments, especially between our Hal and his brother Jim, but the whole affair is tanked by some truly dreadful art by Billy Tan. Really? Oh, it's awful. Panel after panel without backgrounds, layouts that make panels look like they were cropped from larger drawings. Oh, wow. And poorly, I might add. And just overall bad visual storytelling. Like, I wish you could look at this book. There are splash pages that look like it's only half of a a two-page spread, and that's how they presented it. I wanted to give this a skim it because I really did enjoy some aspects of the story, but the art, it kills it. I'm giving Green Lantern number 50 a leave it. Army of Darkness, Furious Road, number one from Dynamite. I admit I haven't been following the Dynamite Army of Darkness book, but it seems all hell has broken loose and spread to at least the outskirts of Detroit. Yeah. Like the Black Widow book I raved about a few minutes ago, this issue is a big chase scene, but not quite as well executed. The art is fine and the story too, but I found myself dropped into a story that I didn't recognize without much warning. While it's not a great jumping on point for the story, it did leave me a little curious about how we got here, I guess. So Army of Darkness Furious Road gets a generous skip. There you go, all right. The Discipline, number one from Image. I have a complicated relationship with my appreciation of Peter Milligan. I think everyone does. Yeah, that means I find his work totally hit and miss. I bet he's hard to date, too. <laughs> yeah. The Discipline is a huge miss, unfortunately. Aww. It's billed as an erotic thriller, but this book is neither erotic nor thrilling. <laughs> the story centers around a woman in the midst of some sort of sexual awakening as she gets caught up in an ancient mythological carnal ritual. Like a journey from Alain to Minsk? Yeah, Rochelle, <laughs> Rochelle, the musical. <laughs> erotic journey from Alain to Minsk. There's boning and nudity and monsters, and there's absolutely nothing sexy about it. Yeah. It's like Fifty Shades of Grey with satyrs. Well, maybe that's not sexy for you. Um, they Hairy legs excite some of us. To each his own. <laughs> Milligan fails to give us any reason to care about what happens to anyone in this book. The one bright spot is the moody artwork by Leandro Fernandez, who I enjoy. Yeah, I love him. But it's not enough to bring me back. I'm giving the discipline number one a leave it. It's, wow. It's a not good. Okay. Mercury Heat number eight from Avatar. Karen Gillan's female version of Judge Dredd runs into the crossed in the future in the beginning of this new storyline. And yeah, those crossed. Garth Ennis's What, for crossed. real? Like a crossover? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, this might be the first Avatar crossover event. Lay it on me if I'm wrong. I, I want to know. I don't know. I'm not sure what happens to writers when they go to work for Avatar, but I swear Gillen is getting paid by the F word here. The dialogue is so littered with curse words, it becomes ridiculous in the first two pages. Lopez is great on art, and there's some clever censoring of the cross on a couple pages, but I'll take Gillen's image or Marvel work any day over his Mercury Heat giving it a skim. Unfollow number five from Vertigo. I fell behind on this title after enjoying the first issue quite a bit and man am I glad I got caught up. Things are really ramping up as the surviving members of the 140 are sent home in the wake of their benefactor's death. I love this book. 
The art by Mike Dowling is amazing, and writer Rob Williams is crafting a very compelling story that keeps the characters and the reader guessing. Unfollow is one of the best books of the recent Vertigo Renaissance. Buy it. You have got to be kidding. Yeah, watch this. I'm I'm stunned. Action Lab, colon, Dog of Wonder, number one from Action Lab. Get it? It took them long enough to get, get a it? book out called Action Lab. Writers Vito Delasante and Scott Fogg present us with the all-ages story of a super agent golden lab. Get it? Action Lab? I, I get it. <laughs> that frees dogs on death row at the pound and sends them to an underground sanctuary where people will accept them for who they are. This issue addressed dog fighting head on, and I almost got a little weepy. Rosie Higgins and Ted Brandt are perfect on the cartoony art here, and they draw a really cute pug to boot. Action Lab is proof that kids' comics can tell accessible stories while still teaching very important lessons. This was great, and I'm giving it a huge buy. Standoff, colon, assault on Pleasant Hill, Alpha. Isn't it Avengers Standoff? I think they just put the Avengers name on there to market it. Okay. Number Alpha from Marvel. (laughs) Upcoming Captain America artist Jesus Sayas steps in to properly kick off the Pleasant Hill event following last month's Prelude special that we both really liked. Yeah. Writer Nick Spencer didn't waste any time revealing the true nature of Pleasant Hill. And now the real question is, what are Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes going to do about it now that an army of supervillains have broken free? I really dig this concept and... After years of cosmic nonsense, I kind of appreciate a more down-to-earth event with roots in classic Marvel lore. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's weird to call it down-to-earth because it's all about the cosmic cube. But but still, it's refreshing. Yeah. You know, who we're dealing with is refreshing. Right. Jesus says absolutely kills it on the art. I love that dude. Assault on Pleasant Hill gets a buy it. Oof, boy. Matt, really? I mean, just because I wouldn't let you... You made this happen. No. <laughs> I put it very clearly in the notes that that I had dibs on those books. Let's, it's your fault. Let the Twitter record reflect. Joe Patrick made this happen. Uh, read the book, Joe. Jungle Fantasy, colon, Vixens, number one from Boundless. While reading the solicit for this book, I discovered that this was the return of Jungle Fantasy, which hasn't been seen for 10 years. So someone demanded this back. The story (laughs) centers around Kit and Lonnie, two buxom jungle beauties whose spaceship crash-landed on a jungle planet. Wait, what? Yep, full of dinosaurs and other dangers that quickly tear them out of their bikinis. I thought this was just going to be another softcore porn book from the good perverts at Boundless, I was wrong. This is full-on porn. Wait, what? Kit and Lonnie have sex with escaped prisoners of their ship before killing them in what I can only presume is some misogynist view of feminism. I should mention, this was an anthology that presented three different stories that got the girls naked on almost every page, and only the second story by writer Dan Wickline and artist Daniel HDR, I don't know what that means, Hodor, featured full penetration. What, like peas and veggies? It is a sad story by sad little men and jungle fantasy vixens gets... Hey, leave it. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Don't pin this on me. I'm full. I didn't know Boundless was doing full on porn. They're not doing that in like Lady Death, right? Well, beats me, man. I don't read those books. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round. And <laughs> is the automatopoeia of the week. And also the sound of some 
Wendigo looking vampire thing attacking werewolf dog monster (laughs) attacking innocent budding stars in the pages of Vampirella volume three number one now head to twoheadednerd.com and check out even more reviews of this week's comics from the host of the comics therapy podcast and trusty love slave himself Mr. Aaron Myers nice synergizing (laughs) other than perhaps the Iron Sheik it's hard to argue that Kanye West isn't the best Twitter follow on your timeline. Truly. For the past couple of months, however, things got weirder than usual for Yeezus. It seems Kanye has been feuding with Dead Mal 5. Dead Mal 5? Dead Mouse. Who I assume is a DJ? Yep. DJs have stupid names like Dead Mouse, right? Sure. Yeah, All right. He wears a stupid uh, mouse hat, too. And he's claiming that his venture into the fashion world has left him broke. To figure out if this is just his typical lunacy or a desperate cry for help, Matt and I have invited the Timo Supremo of Warlock and Cypher to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to analyze Kanye's Twitter feed to tell us if we need to be worried. Matt, while the Super Buddies here analyze Kanye's Twitter syntax, why don't we talk about what the nerds should be reading next week? Sounds good. Next week, I am excited... For Headlopper, number three. You realize that you have picked every issue of Headlopper. I am going to continue to pick every issue of Headlopper until you are all reading it. This is from Image. It is written and drawn by Andrew McLean. It is 56 pages for $5.99. What a deal! The solicit is short and sweet. Norgal and Agatha meet fellow adventurer Zania while battling a mega arachnid from hell. Yeah. What else do you need? <laughs> Come on. There's heads. They get lopped. You don't need to start with issue one. They're all standalone stories. It is a ton of fun. McLean has a kick-ass art style that reminds me of like a tougher adventure time, if you will. Yeah, for sure. This book is too much fun. I demand you buy it. Joe Patrick, what are you picking up next week? Next week, my pick is Mockingbird, number one, from Marvel Comics, written by Chelsea Kane, with art by Kate Niemchik. It's 32 pages, $3.99. Here's the solicit. Because you demanded it! Now in her own ongoing series, Bobby Morse is Mockingbird. Shields! Most versatile, most in-demand agent. I'm not going to shout each letter individually. I know that there's periods there, but that's too much. But a string of missions gone wrong indicate that something strange is lurking within Shields' own medical and recovery network. How far will Mockingbird have to go in order to solve this puzzle box and get to the truth? Is it just me or is the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization like more disruptive and screwed <laughs> up and just like downright dangerous? Like why is <laughs> every mystery about how corrupt S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, is? Like I don't think S.H.I.E.L.D. has ever done a good job of anything. <laughs> Didn't they only just get reinstated yes. after uh, whatever? Yeah, after I mean, being defunct for so long? Well, they've crashed like in the history of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think they've crashed at least 70 helicarriers. <laughs> Look. I really loved the uh, Mockingbird one shot. That was like the. Um, it was good. It was some anniversary. 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something 50, like that. 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think you're right. Yep. I really liked it. Uh, it's a different artist this time around, but I think it looks pretty good. Uh, I love. I liked what Chelsea Kane did with the story. And I think Mockingbird's a character that is ready for her time in the spotlight. Yeah. And I recant on the Ludicrous Speed Round review I gave of that because I just picked up one and didn't really know what was going on then. And it just seemed like a throwaway issue. I didn't realize they were all vignettes. That were cleverly placed, you know, all, it, all through Shield's history. It was good. I recant. Buy it. You heard it here first. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Tokyo Ghost, Volume 1, Atomic Garden, the trade paperback. From Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, with art by Sean Murphy, 136 pages, 9 dollars 
You got to be kidding me. I get, They're like, giving it away. I thought that they expected us to pay for it. I mean, really? Here's your solicit. Special low introductory price of $9.99. The Isle of Los Angeles, 2089. Humanity is addicted to technology. Getting a virtual buzz is the only thing left to live for. And gangsters run it all. Who do these gangsters turn to when they need their rule and force? Constables Led Dent and Debbie Decay are about to be given a job that will force them out of the familiar squalor of LA and into the last techless country on earth, the Garden Nation of Tokyo. This collects Tokyo Ghost number one through five, and I love doing my gravelly 80s guy movie trailer voice for stuff like that. In the world. <laughs> it's so perfect. Tokyo Ghost kind of, I'll admit, it lost me a little bit because it is so visually... I, I don't know if I should say amazing or confusing. <laughs> complicated. It's yeah. visually complicated. Visually complicated. But I am going to sit down and I'm going to read issues one through five and see if it bears out a little more because these two guys are incredible. Sean Murphy is one of the most talented artists working in comics today. Rick Remender just pumps out good comics for a living. That's all he does. The guy eats, sleeps, and makes good comics. That's it. He probably poops in there sometime, yeah, but... That's disgusting. I mean, he eats, Why so... Why don't you bring that up? I'm just saying everybody does it. Cypher and Warlock are finished analyzing Mr. West's Twitter feed, and I'm afraid it still doesn't make much sense. It seems he's blaming Donald Trump for how much money he spent on his new fashion line. All right. He's been denying that he enjoys butt play. Wait, what? Defending Bill Cosby. Huh? And perhaps worst of all, beefing with Taylor Swift. No. T-Swift. That son of a bitch. <laughs> so no evidence he's suicidal? It doesn't look like it, buddy. Ah. While Matt rethinks his massive bet on Kanye in the celebrity death pool, why don't you nerds head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week? We've been dishing Kanye a lot of <laughs> in the past few <laughs> Have we? Yeah. <laughs> now and again, Joe and I convince some poor comic creators to risk their good name and come onto this show for a segment we call Inside the Comic Studio. Today, we welcome the creators of The Anywhere Man, Tim Mayer and Jeff Lawler, who have had their project picked up by Underbelly Comics and are in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign for the upcoming Anywhere Man graphic novel. Jeff Lawler, Tim Mayer, welcome once again to The Ziggurat. We're glad to have Thank you here. Thank you so much. This is Tim. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, for those of you listening at home, Matt instructed both of our interviewees to to identify themselves before every answer. So <laughs> well, we want you guys to know who they are. I mean, come on. Can you guys talk to us a little bit? We've had you on the show before. We've reviewed the Anywhere Man on the show, but it's been a while. Can you give the listeners and any new listeners that might be uh, here today a quick rundown of the Anywhere Man? Uh, Jeff here. Uh, the, so the Anywhere Man is a three-issue comic miniseries that we've been working on now for a couple of years. Um, the basic story is about a guy that gets in an accident that causes him to teleport uncontrollably and about the uh, corporation that's chasing after him, trying to capture him and figure out why he can do what he can do. So that's the nutshell. Excellent. You mentioned before that it was a three-issue series, but... It is now uh, being made into a graphic novel instead. Is that accurate? This is him. Yes. Uh, it's just it, uh, the three <laughs> issues that we had originally planned. Um, the way that Jeff written it 
were going to be put out individually, but then the way that Underbelly does things, yeah, they, they decided they wanted to collect all three issues into one graphic novel. Let's talk about Underbelly for a second. They're a Canadian press, and we reviewed some of their stuff. They're also very nice guys. We've talked to them in person. How, uh, how do you hook up with the Canadian press? I mean, I, this is Jeff. Um, I was, uh, after Tim and I did the, we did the first issue, Tim drew it, and we had that printed up ourselves. I just kind of started shopping around for independent publishers. Um, and so I sent out a bunch of submissions, probably 10, 15 ish of them. And they were the one, they just happened to be in Canada. And so I sent one up there to them and they liked it. And I, I actually talked to them last year. I was at C2E2. They were there. So I stopped by and talked to them and they liked the book and the rest is history. So, so that was pretty much it. So you guys have, uh, well, Underbelly is kind of running your Kickstarter, which is going right now. Where That's do you, correct. where do you stand with that? And what's the uh, social media backlash like for stuff like that? <laughs> like, is it as bad as Archie or like, <laughs> It's awful. Hey, I'm sure it's <laughs> demonized. It's uh, the the Kickstarter campaign has been going very well. We've we got to fifty percent within our first week. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're we're we've we're kind of in I guess in the middle or just starting the second week at this point. Um, Wait, who is this? But yeah, this this is the second week of it. Wait, who is it? No, who is who, this? I'm sorry. Who's speaking? Oh, who's Tim. Oh, thank you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I was so good at that. I know yeah. you were the best. Um, Drop the ball. Jeff was dropping the ball. Now he's killing it. <laughs> I know <laughs> the the campaigning has been going pretty well. I it's hard to tell how much of a return we're getting from that though. I mean i I can't look at the names. Jeff can look at the names that we see on on uh, the campaign though, right? Yes, I can. Yeah, I've been. I've been he keeps that shielded from you, or like he doesn't want you to know that stuff. I'm just not, I, Jeff has been the one that's really been talking the most with, uh, Adam at underbelly oh, okay. and they've, they've been, uh, I guess the administrators of that whole thing online. I could get in if I wanted to, but I don't care enough. Tim is there to be seen, not heard. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> Jeff is exactly. the face. Right. Jeff's no, the face, man. Tim's more of a Hannibal. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so you're in the, you're in the second week. And it's going very well. Can you guys talk a little bit about what the Kickstarter rewards are if people should choose to support the Enemy War Man? Yeah, because we're pimping you out to all our listeners. Yeah. And they are soft-skulled morons, so they will throw cats <laughs> at you. Let me tell you what. Yeah. Uh, there's a... Uh, Jeff here. Just got to say that clearly. That was good. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, there's a, a bunch of different rewards. I mean, you can just get the, the PDF of the book anywhere all the way up to... Um, you can get some of the original art or a sketch as well as the book and the ultimate tier. I nobody's purchased this yet, but you get the book, I think an original piece of art and you get a Skype chat with myself, Tim and underbelly and chase magnet, our wonderful editor. Hey, so, we know that guy. Yeah, That's right. So, so if you want to chat with us for a couple of hours on Skype, that's your place. To Whoa. Go. Hey, why, Whoa, why buy the cow when you hours. get the sex for yeah. free? Am I right? <laughs> like, what if we just want like 15 minutes? You know, like, <laughs> no, it's, it's two hours only. I mean, it's like asking a hooker for a high five, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is it going to run me a quarter? Well, there you go. <laughs> so these are some choice rewards. I mean, don't get, look, I've already got 
Tim Mayer original art and a copy of the Anywhere Man. I have Tim and I'm on you. Skype with him right now. I've got Tim Mayer original art so on my fridge. So really, I'm not giving him a dime. <laughs> but for those of you that uh, don't have the pleasure, these are excellent rewards. Uh, we read the Anywhere Man, the first chapter, uh, some time ago. It's amazing. Tim's art is gorgeous. Oh, when, thank you. When is this supposed to come out? Now that it's now that it's going to be more of a graphic novel instead of in issues, when's the projected release? Well, I think we're uh, the entire book, all of the art is done, and we're just kind of going through and finishing up the lettering and some of the kind of finishing touches. So we're hoping that it'll be absolutely ready to go to the printers as soon as the Kickstarter is completed. Wow. Yahtzee. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty much on track for that right now. Um, so our hope is we'll, you know, send it off to underbelly as soon as the Kickstarter is complete and they'll get it off to the printers and hopefully have it within, uh, we don't have a firm date at this point, but within a couple of months, a reasonable amount of time. Well, it's Canada. Yeah. Time works differently up there too. Right. There's like, this, there's like an international <laughs> dateline or something. I but don't know. I, I mean, having, having it, having the thing done before the campaign is over, that's better than a lot of like. Known professional yeah. Kickstarters that I've seen. Well, that's, so. but that's more like GoFundMe territory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is great, you guys. Seriously, I mean, those of you who have listened to us follow these guys before, they're just a couple of guys that we know. They put together an awesome comic book. They got picked up. I mean, this is proof that anybody out there can do this. And I think it's great that you guys are having the success that you are. I know you're not rich yet, but we'll get you there. You know, I mean, this has worked out really well for you so far. You've come down on the show. And because of that, you got a gig with the Canadian press directly because of us. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Back up, back up, what? back up, back up. What? <laughs> Listen. I'm just like, saying, aspiring comic art creators. Did, did you guys did you guys uh, collaborate after meeting at the Creators Workshop? Uh, Tim here, yes, we did. We we met in the basement of a comic book in store. In your face, and, Matt Bomb. Oh, you had nothing to do with it. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> You work here too, idiot. I'm trying to make Legend, money. Legend Comics and Coffee Creators Workshop, bringing people together, getting books made. Uh, great, yeah. So in fact, in, in fact, Tim here, Matt is the source of a lot of arguments that we have, and oh. it's caused a lot of strain on our relationship. So. <laughs> yeah, well, get in line, sucker. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much again for being here and taking the time out of uh, your day. Tim is like, he came straight from Bernie Sanders' campaign yeah, office. Yeah, card-carrying socialist liberal hippie. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was rocking out with his caucus out. Woo! <laughs> At a school, no less, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks again. The book looks great. Good luck with the rest of the campaign. If you thank want you. to... Yeah, uh, thank absolutely. you for having us on. If you want to donate to the Anywhere Man Kickstarter, we will have a link to the campaign in the show notes. You never read them. So Google the Anywhere Man Kickstarter and you'll find it, I'm sure. <laughs> but we'll do our best to point people there. Throw these guys some money. They absolutely deserve it. And I think they're really going to be... Uh, I think we're going to hear more from this dream team in the future. Oh, dream team. Dream team. I'm oh calling my. it. We're the first ones that said like, that. Okay. Like that. It's official. Yeah. yeah. Oh, on the back cover. Uh, yeah, two-headed we'll nerd. Cover. That'll be nice. These guys are a dream team. Two-headed nerd. Okay. <laughs> we can come up with a better cover blurb than that. Thank you once again to Tim Mayer and Jeff Lawler for joining us here in the Ziggurat. Go to twoheadednerd.com for the show notes for this episode for a link to their Kickstarter. Support them. If you refuse to read the show notes like I always say you do, just Google the Anywhere Man Kickstarter. You'll get there. It's worthwhile. It's a great book. 
These are great guys. Support them. Support indie comics. Do it! Break it, break it down like this. And that is it for another episode of THN. If you dig podcasts and are willing to smoke a fool for messing with T-Swift, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with all the other potential listeners out there. Millions of them. Potentially, yes. Potentially. <laughs> Thank you to all of our donors. You fund the Kickstarter of our hearts. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at 2HeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. As little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, Hit us up with an email. The subject line, sponsorship. That's twoheadednerd at gmail.com. There you go. If you want to puff up your trust and get on our digital face, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope. We're on it right now. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. Skype and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. That is the phone number you use to interact with this show and with us. We love it when you do. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify. Woo! You just head to Spotify and search for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Don't forget to go to the THN forums. It's week two of D. Murray's Bracket Challenge. Last week... Age of Apocalypse 1 in the Battle of the Events. Kind of clean house. This week, it's Civil War versus Blackest Night. Ooh. You go to the THN forums, you cast your vote, you fill out your bracket, whatever you do in this sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cast your vote. It's THN March Madness. And then get on and talk smack. Cast your vote, talk smack. There you go. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the Answer of the Week contributor, host of the Grolix and Turning Cartwheels podcast, and creator of the Tank Monkey webcomic. This guy is busy. Overachiever. Jesse Kiefer, who turned 38 this week. I'll tell you what, he doesn't look a day over 14. He's adorable. Word to you, Jesse. You're just a youngster. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just send a tank monkey to your house. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Good evening.